Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. At the top of every month, I choose a filmmaker or genre of which I am woefully oblivious, and discuss the significance and impact of it with a guest who will then recommend me three titles most relevant to the topic, which I will then watch and report back on. This month, I'm exploring some highbrow horror films, um, uh, as recommended by Benny Crown, filmmaker Benny Crown, joining me again uh, after last year's um, spot here, recommending me films of Abbas Kiarostami. Um, Benny, though, thank you for joining me on this I Do Movies Badly podcast again. That intro never gets old. I love listening to you <laughs> say it. Um, yeah, it I was I, I was looking back. That was like last, like September of last year, I think, which feels even longer because we're in a pandemic and who knows what time is anymore. I don't know. <laughs> that It seems longer ago. I, it was like two years ago. See, it was funny because I, I thought it was like sometime this year. So I was like, am I bringing Benny back too fast or like too quickly? And then I looked back and like, no, that was a full, like over a full calendar year ago. Um, and that was, it was, cause I think it was you and Andrew were, if not back to back, you were in close proximity to each other. And then you had to come on cause Andrew came on and Andrew's a jerk and you had to prove that Andrew was a jerk by joining, um, <laughs> which is a joke that only you and I will enjoy. Cause I don't think Andrew listens to this podcast, so I can just call him a jerk. The joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so but he doesn't enjoy it. I I I may know Benny because I I know you, but the listeners may not know you. But uh, so how how's the pandemic been going? How are you holding up? How are how are things? Um, I've been doing all right. I think uh, you know everybody's sort of reassessing a lot of things, and I've also sort of identified some changes that I can work towards, um, despite the circumstances. And I have been fortunate i got some of the government help with one of the loans when work was really slow and then sort of later in the year work sort of slowly cautiously safely started to pick up again Mm -hmm. and i'm back in a sort of working mode so i'm coming into the end of the year feeling a little bit more secure than i did at the beginning of the year well that's good And, and i think it's safe to say that most people especially after this week, are feeling a little bit more secure in general about the future. I don't know about you. I know for my wife and I and for many people who are close to not just me, but to you as well, as in a shared circle of friends, um, it was a long week. It was a roller coaster week. Started kind of low, got kind of high. Um, there's still a lot of anxiety about the future, but man, it just felt good to just kind of go to bed last night and just be like, oh, okay, that's I, I don't have to worry as much as I was worrying on Tuesday or Wednesday evening. I, I blew off a couple days this week totally. <laughs> yeah. I had stuff to do and I was like, mm, it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife and I had plans. We were going to do, on Saturday afternoon, we were going to do like a like a candlelight tour of like catacombs underneath the cathedral here in New York city. Like it was this, not a big event thing, but it was, Whoa. yeah, no, it, it sounded like really cool. Like I just stumbled upon it one week and like, 
one of the things that her and I have been trying to do to kind of keep sane is like, let's make plans so that we have something to look forward to instead of just like going from one day to the next to the next. And so we were going to do that. We were supposed to do that on Saturday. And then we're sitting down on the couch watching The Mandalorian. My wife got a text from her cousin that they, quote unquote, they called it. And I assumed it was just she was referring to the state of Arizona. because <laughs> <everyone's... laughs> So we, we flipped the channel and I saw the election results and it was just like we were so elevated and like the neighborhood started going nuts and our neighbors and we did and then it was just kind of like let's just not go out today and just go right to seclude yourself into a dark cathedral underground with candlelight (laughs) it did there was opposite thing yeah there was there did seem to be some sort of dissonance between the mood and then what we're going to do so like let's just sit here in in the happiness for a while and just like rest in that and be present in it because that just hasn't been something that people have been able to do for such a long time the streets were crazy this weekend. Mm. It was crazy. It was great. Yeah, we went out. We walked around the neighborhood. We got some like outdoor drinks at different places, just kind of see. And I, and I think the nice weather helped. There was just a lot of people outside, and just kind of for a minute, it kind of felt like, yeah, this is this is right, and this is normal, and this is getting back to things. And it just, and it just felt so good. And then to just get in bed at night and be like, okay, I can I can actually probably sleep tonight. So. Can you know how different this podcast would have been if we had recorded it on Wednesday like we planned? Um, <laughs> I don't... I, I mean, I think we could have powered through, but it just would have been like... I think it would have been very clinical or, or at least kind of sterile, because how, how can you inject... Just where would that have passion have been? Like, yeah, I love talking about this stuff. And when it might have been just like, yeah, I mean, here's this cool... This cool thing, I guess. Maybe, you know, movies are... They're, they're cool. Like, things are cool, I guess. So, but yeah, we were listeners. We were originally supposed to do this. The the reason that this is a a, a week delayed is uh, Benny and I were going to do it sometime last week, and just it was such a long and draining week that neither of us really had the fortitude to kind of like work up to this because passions are cool and something to hang on to, but they also require energy as well to engage with, and we just didn't really have the energy, I think. But we're here talking about them now, and. Benny was talking to me off mic. I'm excited about this topic. You're excited about this topic. As I said on the end of my last episode, I, it was really kind of unintentional that really every month since like May, I think I've been doing horror or horror adjacent topics. The only one that I think wasn't exclusively horror was I did uh, Conexploitation sometime last summer, which had Black Christmas in there, so that's a horror film, but then it also had um, Class of 1984, which wasn't so much but just it's been either a horror filmmaker or a horror subgenre or something and I just didn't intend for that to happen just kind of happened and then looking at you know before we made the plan just thinking like you know it's kind of been a horrific year so let's just keep going with it and then what is the the slant or the angle I can take on it where it's not just the usual kind of stuff and I thought Benny's into really highbrow art house stuff and I don't say that in like a, a derogatory or pejorative sense, but just your tastes are so much different than mine in so many regards. Um, also, peek behind the curtain, before the pandemic happened, I was supposed to be involved with a film, a short film that Benny was making, and didn't really work out so well. Well, okay, that sounds wrong. It didn't work out in the sense of I was not involved with it. Benny got different actor to kind of take part in it. And I remember watching it, and this is... It was a big commitment. It was it, a big commitment. It, it, it was a certain time. It, 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 was, it wasn't just... It was a big commitment, but also, I know, like... 
this speaks to you as a filmmaker. Like I saw what you did and like, Oh wow. I didn't see that on the page at all. So, and like, it was just, and, and so in that sense of like Benny's mind and how he approaches things are, are so different than mine when it comes to cinema. So I'm like, Oh my God, what would Benny think of horror stuff and like doing that? So it was such an, an, an idea to me. And this is something that you and I have talked a little bit about. We're also in a movie group together that we do for our church. And we talked a little bit about with the people in that group, like what is your experience with the horror genre in general? And what for you, I guess for the listeners who are not involved in that group, which is everybody who is currently listening to this, what is your experience with it? Cause I know you, you weren't really like me. Like I was raised on TV and like, you know, the, the Halloween franchise was a thing that I was engaged in from when I was a kid. And like, it was night of living dead that I saw, which got me interested in like the horror genre. And so like, I've always been fascinated by horror movies, and certainly as a suburban kid, it's Friday the 13th, it's Nightmare on Elm Street, it's that kind of mainstream stuff, but that wasn't really your experience. Right, so I, I really just wasn't exposed to much horror growing up. Uh, my parents weren't really um, interested in it, and um, <clears throat> I did have some um, some darker um, inclinations during maybe high school, when I sort of... I, you know, I grew up sort of sort of sheltered. I remember the first rated R movie I saw was like <laughs> Volcano, you know, and it was like not long before I turned 16. So, you know, it was like I was maybe 13, I guess. But, you know, they were just always really cautious with me. I was first born mm. and so I wasn't exposed to a lot and they weren't really interested in horror. And but I did have like throughout high school, I was exposed to some and. I was really drawn to some some films that were darker and uh, simultaneously as I started to get into the suspense of Hitchcock, hmm. which he he's he's horror adjacent, a little bit more suspense. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, things like even most of my horror experience, I think, was that, that stand out in my mind are sort of horror adjacent, like Pan's Labyrinth or Donnie Darko. Hmm. They're just these sort of darker side films but not not horror like i didn't i didn't wasn't exposed to the the slasher type films and so therefore yeah i don't know i I didn't have an appreciation for it Mm -hmm. that said i i am really excited because i've i've really grown to understand my limited exposure growing up of (laughs) any type of culture and i know you and andrew and we, we talk a lot you and Andrew are both big horror people, and and you know I was really glad to hear that because I was like, you know, I haven't given horror a shot, kind of. <laughs> I haven't really uh, given it a shot at uh, a full appreciation. And preparing for this podcast and sort of making my selections, I really got excited about the things I was thinking and how they're pertaining to film in general, and 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 just thinking about it in ways that I hadn't before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and Andrew, when he says Andrew, he's referring to uh, past guest Andrew DeSelm, who was on here to talk about um, Terrence Malick, which is kind of interesting because he's also <laughs> expressed to both of us that the kind of films he likes are the ones that kind of like punch you in the face and like really catch you off guard and like make you uncomfortable. I remember I, I didn't love it, but all three of us went to go see the Suspiria remake when that came out. And I think he, of all three of us, I think he was the one that loved it the most. And I was like... Yeah, it was not really my cup of tea. Um, 
But in, and it's interesting what you say too of like because I think we had a similar upbringing when it came to specifically sort of like an evangelical upbringing and 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 its approach to media and specifically media that is kind of considered subversive or a little bit dark. Um, but I think the difference is you were the firstborn. I was the third born. And so by the time I came around, I think my parents were just kind of tired and they were like, what, you know, whatever, not that they didn't care, but I think they also weren't aware of a lot of stuff. Um, you know, if, if, uh, if the papers or if, uh, um, the Christian radio station was talking about this thing, which was offensive, it's like, we'll keep our kids away from it. But at the same time, they didn't know anything about, you know, the exorcist, or they didn't know anything about Night of the Living Dead. It was just kind of like a yeah, fine, whatever. And being the, being an older generation, just not being in tune with what media was. So for me, it was sort of like a mixture of no supervision, but also a fascination and curiosity. Like, what is this thing that is that society has said is forbidden that I that I shouldn't partake in? And I think The Exorcist is a a, a key film for me because um, with the religious upbringing, I think that film. Uh, really hit me in a specific way. And I think, you know, I, I really, I watched it and I felt, you know, I, I, my, the way I was raised with my beliefs and just sort of how I feel about the world, that I, I do believe there are powers unseen and, and such. Mm -hmm. And I can't, th this is, it was really real and it was really, it was scary. And I remember feeling fearful that night going to bed. Mm -hmm. Most other films, I think just in comparison to that just didn't seem as serious. And so I didn't quite get it. Like, you know, that film was, um, very impactful, mm -hmm. um, in its, in its, in its, um, uh, how, it, how parallel it felt with real life. Yeah. And that was a little bit disconcerting because films are generally just like fantastical and sort of a remove. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe that was part of my hesitation with getting into um, any of the other horror films. It was just like I'm, you know, I, I felt maybe a little bit more serious about it and a little less uh, casual and fun about it, like many of the horror films are, despite their dark tones. <laughs> and 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 even stepping and even kind of making it a bit broader when it comes to the the type of films you you really enjoy or engage with when it comes to uh tone and construction and and, and I guess to put a, a a concrete example on it for uh for you and I one of the films that you and I have watched together and discussed was Uncle Boon Me who can recall his past lives and we did yeah we we discussed that with our movie group and and for the most part people were like I don't really understand what I saw I don't know how to make sense of it and Benny comes in a little bit late to the meeting because he had another meeting going on he's like I loved it and was just like the one person that's like nope this was fantastic and so and and one of the thoughts that you had that was that was profound to me and I don't think a lot of people connected with was how that idea of resting with or or, or kind of enjoying not knowing and just kind of sitting with a movie on its own terms is that kind of an accurate uh, appraisal of the situation yeah i mean i still catch myself watching a film for as much patience as i have with non-traditional narrative and lack of narrative and you know uh non-traditional film structure <clears throat> for as much patience as i have and experience and expectations for it 
I still catch myself watching something and being like, um, okay, I, I'm really sort of like floating out here. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm taking this in as it comes, but you know, my brain still seeks, seeks that meaning and structure. And I think that's just, um, it's a little bit thrilling. I mm. think maybe that's something that draws me to it because I tend to seek that understanding pretty quickly. Uh, in in most things in life, I'm trying to understand how it works, why they do what they do, and those films uh, resist that a little bit. And I think ends up I end up in a in a deeper place, in a more profound place in sense of feeling and thought because it's it's not so clear and it, it's exciting. It's exciting, and then and then there are just lots of ways to figure it out, mm-hmm. and that's also excites me is that there's just more there's more to it and i know i've tried in the past to like like i don't necessarily love when people walk out of a movie or they're done and they're saying like i don't get it because to me that it seems to imply like there was there was a thing that you were supposed to take away from it there was one monolithic thing that was supposed to be the takeaway and and you didn't catch what that thing was but at the same time um i can also understand if someone because I've had it where I've gone into a movie expecting one thing and getting something else and be like, okay, I'm a little bit thrown off and, and disoriented because I'm not sure what the experience was supposed to be or at least I was expecting one thing and getting something else. And and one thing I've been trying to do in, in the past couple of years, I guess, and you've helped push me in that direction a little bit is this idea of not necessarily like, okay, what am I supposed to think, but how did a movie make me feel, or how did I feel in a scene, because sometimes that's, if not more important, then that's like, well, that's still a takeaway, like, okay, I felt this way, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to, but that's that was what happened from the subjective experience of my life when combined with how this this movie was framed and edited and acted and that kind of thing, which I, I like to think is equally as valid. I don't I don't get it as such a loaded statement. I'm I'm currently I've had a conversation at length with it this week. I'm currently in a collaboration with one of my best friends, uh, Angie, uh, who is a choreographer and uh, we've worked on some other pieces before where I've uh, supplemented some video elements uh, for her work. And um, We've been working on this new project, and it's you know a hybrid of of dance and projection and live performance, and um, you know this is one big thing. You know her work. I I have great respect for her work, and she is she tends to be um, really abstract in let's say her description of the work, and often some sort of meaning even for her dancers um, in her direction. There's there's not like a an understanding that mm-hmm. there are strong feelings and she always resists and she's always um we, we had a conversation she's like you know i'm feeling really strongly about certain things but i i'm just like you know i know people are gonna you know often what happens is people walk out of it they're like that was so cool like that was that just looked so cool that felt cool and really you know strong 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 reactions to it but but what does it mean (laughs) you know what's it about you know and what am i supposed to think and you know i think that that's a a really a really poor response to something because 
you are assuming that there is one takeaway that we're all supposed to get from it. Mm -hmm. There is only one narrative that we can ascribe to. And as the world, I hope, is shifting, we start to understand that that there are many narratives concurrent and uh, coexistent and layers and um, many connections in many different ways and that we each bring, you know, sure there are commonalities, but um, yeah, I just, I think film uh, is, is in that world where uh, you bring to it something and, and the film brings something for you mm-hmm. um, and everybody kind of walks away a little different. Yeah, and I I mean, it begs the question, too, of something that I've talked about on this podcast countless times, that in, intent versus um, interpretation, and if the intent is one thing and you interpret it a different way, is that does that invalidate it? Does that make it messy, that kind of thing? Um, and, and I've kind of landed on the, no, it, it doesn't. In fact, you know, they to a certain extent, it, not that it doesn't matter what the filmmaker intended, but... Um, your experience with it is equally as valid as the intent. And because I'm also not a person that believes someone can be objective, just like, oh, they didn't intend anything when making a film. Like, well, that, that I, I, I absolutely do not That's believe in. That's an intention in itself. No, <laughs> no objective intention. That's an intention. Yeah. You can't escape it. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, I'm going to quote somebody who I can't, I can't remember what this is from, but... Um, the quote is, you know more than you can say. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so profound. And I think often many artists feel very strongly about what they're doing. They can't quite explain it. They can't give you that understanding because it is perhaps larger than words and larger than a string of words that you might deliver to someone in 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've introduced this topic and uh, in this episode, in the last episode, as highbrow horror and i i wasn't even sure if that was the right way to phrase it because highbrow <clears throat> the term implies that there's an opposite of lowbrow and in itself implies kind of like a ranking system or uh, one being above the other whether you want to call it highbrow or art house but there is there's certainly um i guess for you what does that term entail highbrow art house avant-garde something which is just at least not mainstream, what does it apply or, or what does it entail for you and what is appealing about it for you instead of just like if we watch Friday the 13th or if we watch Halloween? I, I would uh, add another word. I think I, you missed a word. Uh, uh, pretentious belongs in there. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily something I value, pretension, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's another way that many people uh, think about that. And, you know, I'm... Uh, there is sort of a range of experiences, you know, just as much as I would, re- I have enjoyed really sort of very expensive meals that are very scaled back and very nuanced. I also just really love a ballpark Frank, you know, <laughs> you know, there's nothing like it. And so, you know, I, I, I really appreciate a range of experiences and, um, you know, it's it's about exposure and putting it in its context and appreciating it within the context. So I think many times 
things are labeled highbrow. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> things that are labeled highbrow is really just someone who has left behind the left behind the the need to be understood. Mm. And they are really pursuing past a little bit maybe of their own understanding and seeking and really pushing. I think that some of the filmmakers um, that I selected, they're just they're they're unique. They uh, produced unexpected films, and I, I think that that wasn't just an arbitrary thing. I don't think it was. I'm just going to think of how to do something different in a way that nobody else does. <laughs> I really think that they had genuine strong feelings, and I think the success of these films. Um, and the respect that they have, um, you know, says something about that, that other people can recognize that and see that in an artist's work. Maybe not many people, because I think often maybe something that's highbrow is a very passionate project. Hmm. You can't always appreciate that passion. That's true. I'm wondering what your thoughts are, if I may be a little bit, um... Not even controversial. I don't even want to say that I'm playing devil's advocate, but I, but posing the question, I guess, the implication seems to be that these these kind of films are a, a bit more personal. I mean, like you said, they're they're moving past the the need to be understood, and so they're moving past maybe the idea of like, oh, I don't necessarily care if it gains a wide stream audience or, or is going to make a lot of money or that kind of thing. Does that then, in your opinion, also entail it's a bit more of a selfish uh venture for some of these filmmakers i would say when when i hear someone describe something as a personal film you know that that's really just another reading of it right Mm. typically Mm. when someone says it's a very personal film you're like oh then it must be somewhat autobiographical and (laughs) you know it must you know be something about them that they're trying to process well we're all trying to process many things that, and I think a personal film is just very connected to the particularity of that person who made it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Are you going to label every single one of Wes Anderson's films personal because they're like, so just Wes Anderson or, <laughs> you know, um, I think it's just a, it's a, you know, I, I think that, um, a personal film is not necessarily selfish because I think I can appreciate someone else's personal vision because I also hold personal visions and, Mm. and very idiosyncratic choices. And when I see someone else pursuing, you know, what's deep inside of them and saying something in a way that maybe only they would say, I deeply respect that because I'm like, that is totally you. And no one else could have said it that way. No one else could have shown it that way. And I believe that about myself. I believe that each of us have a unique voice and have unique experiences and, uh, you know, that are, are worth hearing. And we just, some people pursue them a little bit more than others. That's a good, that's a good way of putting it. I, I like that. I might steal that in the future. Um, <laughs> so I guess when it, when it, when you take that approach and apply it to a genre or specifically something like horror, which the, the implication 
at least in kind of a mainstream uh, critical interpretation of horror, tends to be more less intellectual or less emotional and kind of more visceral. Um, we got boobs, we got blood, we've got people getting their heads cut off. We got like and really like a threat of of a, a physical fate but then and even stepping outside of that you know if you have let's say supernatural forces if you have ghosts if you have demons if you have werewolves there's still this idea of what are the threats to my physicality and and to my 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 life force and my well-being so i mean is that not i guess when it comes to you and or these filmmakers is that not appealing is that immature or just what is the like when we blend these things together what does the horror come from what what generates the horror if it's not going to be like oh i'm i'm worried that i'm going to get decapitated or or exsanguinated or or possessed well here comes my 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 genuine um entry point into all of horror mm. uh, this this whole the impetus of this podcast your prompt because i think i mean is it so simple <laughs> are horror films so simple i i actually had an interesting conversation i uh with my with my dad uh you know i mentioned that i was going to be on a podcast with with you you know he had listened to the the prior one we had done and you know um you know he was talking about he he, he gave me a little anecdote about one of the films that really truly stood out for him and as like really scared him and um it was just interesting hearing another, you know, him talk about his early cinematic experiences. And I really, as he was talking, I was thinking a lot to myself and I really listening carefully because, um, you know, I'm he's he's very close to my the formulations of 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 my culture, of the way I viewed culture and what I absorbed early on. <clears throat> and um you know, I think horror isn't that simple because I think it's really, actually, I think it's really deep and core to what cinema is. I think that there's something very primal and um, very existential about it. Even though, like I said, even though these films have a lot of darker tones, there's really something you know, like we're really drawn to it and it's not so serious most of the time. Like we all shriek and we jump and, but yet w most of us walk outside and yeah, we might be a little scared walking in the woods alone after seeing the Blair Witch Project or walking in a cornfield after seeing signs, <laughs> but there, it's still very clearly a fantasy and you're able to sort of, you feel it and you still continue to feel it. It was like, that was a strong story. And that's that's encouraging. That's that's a good sort of feeling. There's something that we get out of that. But I think, you know, I think horror really speaks to something core about cinema. And it's this complicated thing. Like, I think there's a reason that, uh, you know, w one of the films that I'm going to suggest to you is a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very interesting genre that exists even. It seems like two very distinct opposite genres. And yet it's actually a very popular genre in itself. Mm -hmm. And speaking of genres, it's very interesting that of, I think, 
all the genres, horror may have some of the most subgenre categories. I don't know. That's completely unfounded. I didn't do any research on that. But to me, it seems like there are so many distinct niches um, of the horror genre. Yeah, and it's funny because at first blush it would seem like, yeah, horror and comedy, what do they have to do together? Because they seem like polar opposites when it really, when you think about even the mechanics of what make both of those films work, it, it starts with, well, you have to have well-established and characters that you can invest in, like that's number one, and then those characters, those actors have to really be invested in themselves and in the story and the timing in order to kind of make that work, and even both of them rely on, on a... Um, an intelligence to make their hits work very well. In 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 horror, it might be the scare or the kill or the tension. In comedy, it might be you know the punchline or or the setup or or that kind of thing. Like so, it, they're they aren't dissimilar uh, when you really get down to think about it. And so it's also like you know why why is it that good comedic actors can do drama very well, but good dramatic actors can't do comedy very well? It's like because you have to you know. You have to really inhabit and, and understand the character, which is sort of why when the Russo brothers first got like, you know, oh, these guys that did Community, they're going to do the Avengers movies. Like, well, yeah, it actually kind of makes sense because the, you have to first have a good understanding of the characters in order to in, in, invest in them. But um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting, too, because I and I, I was being I wasn't I don't want to be dismissive. I love the horror genre, so I'm not going to say like, oh, it's all boobs and gore and that kind of stuff. But that is certainly why a lot of uh more uh why historically a lot of franchises have not been well looked upon friday the 13th and saw and halloween they have their devoted fans but like in a, a larger critical community it's like oh this is all just trash that's trying to go for kind of like cheap thrills but you know even even the original halloween you know michael myers invading the suburbs was very much like that was speaking to a general societal tension and and how um, and, you know, um, Last House on the Left was very much Wes Craven's response to kind of a nihilism and a brutality of Vietnam. So it's like, yeah, there is there is that stuff, but also below the surface, like, there's people speaking to something. And, I mean, if we want to get into the nitty-gritty of, of there is no objectivity, that everyone is influenced by the forces around them, then, like, who's to say, like, yeah, this really stupid, corny slasher was influenced by general anxieties or, or fears that the filmmaker had and maybe was not even aware of his or herself. And and regardless, maybe sometimes of the filmmaker's sort of intentions, a film and many horror films gain cult status and it really can become more about something that the film touched on everybody else's uh, collective consciousness and, and gained new life that way and, and sort of took on new meanings in that context depending on the community. Um, you know, it's, you know, I think that was something my, my dad even in simplifying, like talking about the horror genre, he, he was able to simplify it into sexuality as a core component to horror. And I, you know, thinking about that, I really, um, I think that it's the same thing really, because it's about gore is about the body and mm. so is sexuality. It's all about the physicality and, really the existential threat to our physical beings. And I think, um, you know, the films really, really narrow in on that. The boobs and the blood are all the same sort of 
uh, idea. It is it is the it is the carnal in um, in the whole sense of the word, and you're seeing that manifest on the screen. And I think that's the that's also the sort of push pull of it the the uh, the push pull the 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 draw of it, but also the repulsion. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I do because especially being raised in an evangelical household, that that those two things live right next to each other: the draw, but also the repulsion, and that thing of like I shouldn't be watching this but I really want to be watching this, but then feeling guilty for doing it, but then still that would increase the curiosity and just this this horrible <laughs> cycle that, that poor evangelical kids had to grow up in, um, where yep. it was like, this is wrong and evil, and it, like that made it more appealing, yep. um, more forbidden. And, and and you're right, I mean, the the, the boobs and the blood, I mean, when, it, when is someone at, at their most both emotionally and physically vulnerable? It's when they are literally uncovered. It's just like... Yeah, the the foolish thought of like, well, if I had t-shirts and, and a shorts on, at least I could. That would be more protection. But like, but it's it not. Deflect the blades very easily. <laughs> right? You can push the. It would stop the bullets. Maybe I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, no, it, it it's interesting, and, and and that's I mean that's why I would love to see David Cronenberg get back to making horror films because his body horror films are just this idea of an anxiety around. Yes, sex, but then also the body and physical deterioration. And how the body can be twisted and manipulated is just like, it's really fascinating, but it's also really hard to do that in a way where people are like, this is intelligent and not like, this is exploitative. Or sometimes both at the same time can happen. Well, I, I think when you're, when you are, uh, you know, you, you touched on it, the vulnerability, when you sort of explore that, there there is a very much a danger of exploiting I would say, uh, you know, another interesting thing about the horror genre for me is, in a way, it's a it's a filmmaker litmus test. It can be. It is uh, often like you know one of the cheapest types of films to make that have the largest sort of profit. Sure. In in proportion to what their budget was, you know, it's um. <clears throat> there's something about that where, you know, you were talking about it in parallel to comedy, but that's really where you i mean horror operates on very refined mechanics i would say mm-hmm. you know, the genre conventions are very defined and like good genre films it's all about reinventing those those conventions those tropes and and refreshes of those tropes and uh reimaginations so then i i don't i don't know if i have any any kind of larger questions or topics to talk about so i guess we can start funneling ourselves into the the films at hand that we're going to and i, and I, I only know one because you lent it to me this morning and we'll get to that unless it's going to be the first one but so your three recommendations for highbrow horror they can come in any particular order maybe some mean something to you maybe it's just a chronological thing but what is your your first recommendation for me benny crown well, actually, before I get to the first one, I, I want to give a, a little bit of a shout-out to some that I considered and Ooh, okay. chose not to. Um, I had a list. I had some films that I had watched, and I had some films that I had not watched. Because mm. I knew, so, I, I'm I'm just as ignorant as you in, in, in many ways in cinema, and especially horror. Um, 
two of the films I had watched before and I consider um, loved films of mine. Uh, but um, one I had not watched before, but I, I watched it in preparation and, and decided it was part of it. But um, one in particular, and maybe I'll just talk about the one. Uh, I'll name a couple, but uh, I considered uh, Funny Games. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I know you've seen by Michael Haneke. And I think there's something about that that really gets to the core about media, entertainment, and its association with violence and our consumption of it. And I think that's really close to horror um, and involves it. But ultimately, I chose to pass that as a selection because I felt having watched it it's a film that i would say you know i'm glad to have watched and i appreciate it but i would i after watching it, i you know i said to myself i'm never going to recommend anybody to watch this film <laughs> because i don't want to be you know i don't want someone to come back to me and <laughs> why did you recommend this the worst <laughs> film i've ever seen um you know i real brief tangent i used to uh, i used to intern as a script reader for the production company that made the American remake of Funny Games yeah. uh, with Brady Corbet and Michael Pitt, uh, Tim Roth, and, and Naomi Watts. And actually, and that was the one that I have seen. I have not seen his original, but the remake is a shot-for-shot -shot remake. Uh, Correct. Um, and I, you know, I, I've also only watched the remake version, but I have, I've read up on it that in a sense he was able to sort of even achieve his vision more fully the second to go go around so mm -hmm. yeah my, michael uh I, I believe he's he pronounces it michelle haneke uh but i, I don't know but um michelle, yeah. he, he's he's not a filmmaker whose stuff i really connect with but funny games i especially as a horror film i like i loved i loved that movie when i saw it. and i haven't seen it since i saw it which was like 2008 2009 so i'm a little right. bit nervous that if i watch it again i'll be like eh, but or maybe i'll love it more who knows Funny Games is not a film to love. <laughs> it's just not. It, it's it's just a not. film, I guess, to admire, to really admire. I think, I think the direct, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I would admire it. It says something true. That's about it. <laughs> Fair enough. In a very uh, artful way. Um, two other films I really loved. Um, I was trying to think of, they're, they're more contemporary art house horror um, that I've seen. Uh, Under the Skin and A Girl yeah. Walks Home Alone at Night. Yeah, um, neither of which I have seen. Yeah, two really great films um, that really take, I think, um, fresh takes on the trope again. Um, and really, really uh, just fantastic films. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I really approached my film selection as, uh, you know, I knew I was going to be... <laughs> as you often so often tell me, challenging to your, <laughs> your tendencies. And um, I knew the films that I was going to... So I, I, I was like preparing to send you on a, quite a wild ride. <laughs> and and, um, and uh, so I, we'll start out, we'll start out uh, on a good note. We'll start out on a good note. Good, and, uh, good note, oh boy. <clears throat> uh, we'll, we'll ease you into it with something... Uh, uh, well, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna readjust the order. Um, <laughs> uh, you're you're killing me here. Yes, I know. Saving the best for last, quote unquote. <laughs> okay. 
But the I think my first suggestion is the the killing of the sacred deer. Okay. And that is by Yorgos Lanthimos. Mm-hmm. I am not completely sure how to pronounce that one. I know the other ones how to pronounce okay. it. I, I, yeah, I believe that one is is Yorgos Lanthimos. So, uh, have you seen any of his other films? I've I, I've actually, with the exception of this one, I think I've seen all of his stuff. Because it's funny when you you were texting me as a sort of like, have you seen this one? Have you seen this one? And so I, you really kind of like were throwing so much at me. I'm like, I, okay, Benny can go in one of like a thousand different directions. And you <laughs> you texted me if I had seen this one, and I was about and I was mid typing. No, I'm not a real big fan of Yorgos Lanthimos. But then I, when I thought of it more, I'm like, well, I wasn't a fan of Dogtooth, but I, I pretty, I, I'm, I liked the lobster, and I, I really liked, um, why am I, why am I blanking on the name of uh, the last film he did? The favorite. Uh, what's that? The favorite. The favorite. Thank you. Yes, that one, that one made my top ten of that year. So like, actually, yeah, I, I think I do enjoy his stuff. So I, I've watched um, the lobster. And I haven't watched Dogtooth, but I watched one of his earlier films. Uh, it's called Kaneta. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kaneta is very abstract. There's a lot that you're not sure of when you walk away from that film. <laughs> it is very much so a very strong feeling of a film. And knowing some of his later work, well, mainly The Lobster, I guess, and Killing of a Sacred Deer, it was in it was really intriguing in the sense of the beginnings, like where he was coming from in the beginning, and some of the maybe more extreme experiments that you might conduct early on as a an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, there are many interesting aspects about his filmmaking i think he's there's something very singular and idiosyncratic about his work Mm -hmm. Uh, people are really taking note of it and one of my favorite points to talk about is um how sort of actors talk about working with him Mm -hmm. um and so i i think each of the films that i chose um my Uh, sort of ethos and sort of selecting them was two part. So something that was sort of, um, you know, a commentary and interesting film to consider the whole genre of horror, but also, um, I think a film that, that really to get a sense of like what film is, I think that's my approach to of 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 how film works with us as viewers and i think each of these films um sort of are great extreme examples (laughs) okay your use of the word extreme makes me cautious yeah 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 All, all three of these films are are different types they're they're actually all by foreign directors mm-hmm um, I chose a contemporary film. I chose, <clears throat> um, I mean, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer is an English language film right. by a foreign, a Greek director. Yeah. Um, also, Possession, whoops, spoiler for the last film. <laughs> it's, a, it's a film by a Polish director that was also, surprisingly, in English. His only English film, I oh, believe. Okay. 
And then the other film is um, is uh, also foreign, mm-hmm. uh, but not in English. <laughs> so, what, without spoiling anything, I guess when you say extreme, how are you thinking it's applied specifically to the killing of a sacred deer? The killing of the sacred deer, um, I'd say, is you know what people would probably call highbrow mm-hmm. in general, and it's a very modern, modern type film. In its, um, in the way that the existentialism is is manifesting, and in some very specific choices on the director in how they're making the film, and I think how you feel feels very like a, a modern interpretation of horror. So it's contemporary, but I think it's also dealing with something very modern, modern notions of things. Mm-hmm. And existential horror is is something that's so very hard to depict well on uh on film i mean this is something in in my my other podcast the cast of cthulhu i talk about this a lot because a lot of those films are adaptations of hp lovecraft work and lovecraft wrote a lot about existential horror and when you see inside someone's internalizations it's easy to depict that in writing but internalizations and existentialism is hard to visually depict um and it it can you know some filmmakers have done it very well but how do you film just basically anxiety specifically an anxiety about insignificance or fear if it's not going to be fear about what's lurking around the corner jim the answer is the whole the whole horror genre that's what (laughs) i think i'm getting at is i'm not I I really think of horror on a whole as an existential genre Mm. in a very specific way. It is the most direct way uh, to depict that anxiety um, of existence because it is the most immediate in our reality. Mm. The most immediate threat is our physical body. It's the, the, you know, mental and psychic wounds can... Sure, happen in an instant, but they transcend time. And I think physical wounds are really bound by time. It's it's very immediate. It's very in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so I think, in a sense, uh, the horror genre itself is 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 very much the visualization of all of that anxiety, of all that existentialism. Um, Again, this is why I think that I'm I'm sort of viewing horror anew, in that it it seems simplistic and it seems um, maybe just casual, mm-hmm. but I think it's really speaking to the deepest parts of us, and we're just, you know, we're not always aware of that, but we we do feel it. You know, you you know more than you can say. You know, sitting here having this conversation with you makes me curious i'll say morbidly curious to have you watch the french horror movie martyrs and see what you think about it now to be clear i hate that movie with like a like a a visceral passion like i hate that movie it it makes me feel like no movie i've ever seen before now i only have to watch it yeah because knowing knowing you and knowing that you hear that reaction to me i'm sure makes you curious but also hearing what you say about existential dread horror and how that is first the first projection of that is just 
the body and and how that manifests that movie deals with those two things uh a lot and so i'd be very curious to hear what you say so i'll my, watch it my homework to you is is that yeah and it's i, I will say it's phys, uh, like physically and visually that it's it's a very brutal watch um yeah. it, it it came from the the new french extremity movement which is so called because it is they are both french and extreme <laughs> films um though it also gave us a film like inside which i really really love um but i'd be very curious to hear what you say about that but this is you giving me homework not me giving you homework so we've got uh the killing of a sacred deer which i am um eager to watch because yes i i love because even yorgos lanthimos even in in dogtooth which i didn't love but he still has like a a dark sense of humor and a cynicism towards people and like the the structures of society that they've built up around to give themselves meaning um Stru- yeah word. yeah in in the, in the lobster you you definitely saw that and the favorite it was certainly kind of specific on, or, or specifically focused on royalty and that 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 hierarchical system but in the lobster it kind of dealt with a whole bunch of things so i'm anticipating that bring uh bringing that to this and so that that makes me very curious to see to see this movie and i think this is really someone who uh <clears throat> you know i actually considered some of his earlier films i sort of i haven't seen dogtooth but when i saw the trailer i thought oh maybe this is this seems like a a good commentary on horror um i haven't watched the film but when i then i really reminded myself like oh of course it's the killing of sacred deer actually mm-hmm. and in each of these films i am part of part of what i was thinking through i was like i want to choose something that that i would really love to hear your reaction to considering that you are well versed in horror and the things that it will make you think of and the ways that it it i hope stretch you and in mm-hmm. the new sort of feelings and understandings and new appreciations even for what you you already love well i i will, I will be sure to to give you a, a running commentary as i'm watching maybe not a running commentary but i'll i'll certainly i love it key key you in because uh, i'm not one that likes to text too much while i'm watching a movie especially if it's one i haven't seen uh before though that didn't stop me from keeping you and andrew both <laughs> keyed in as i was watching heaven's gate for the first and maybe only time <laughs> um but okay we got uh the the killing of a sacred deer you've already kind so, of whoop sorry you, you you have you have more comments before we move on no no no, keep going okay well i was gonna just say we've got the killing of a sacred deer you've already kind of uh spoiled what we're gonna get to at the very end but this middle one now recommendation number two is 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 a mystery so um we start off with 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 a good it, it'll test you. I think Killing of a Sacred Deer will be, you know, it'll be a good test of watch, you know, a good first um, intro to these. And then I think House House will be a good middle film. Okay. Uh, House by Nobuiko Obayashi, mm-hmm. 1977 movie. Um, I love the the description of it on the Criterion website. Um <laughs> It's they just you know they said how to describe it, the indescribable movie as a psychedelic ghost tale, a stream of consciousness bedtime story, an episode of Scooby Doo as directed by Mario Bava. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce Bava, but Bava, uh, yeah. 
uh, I I so thoroughly enjoyed this film. I was particularly excited when I learned about a few elements of it. Um, and <clears throat> there were um, this is the horror comedy, and mm-hmm. this is where really I think it's a great intersection of of genre, uh, a really telling intersection of genres, and um, this film I think uh, is great because it's it's definitely um, it is definitely it's not of the Western canon, and um, I think that there's just a lot of different great sensibilities. Um, and it just it was so fresh and it's so fresh and I love um, a lot of things about it in terms of um, you know what went into it getting made sort of this the sort of established filmmaker and the studios sort of wanting an equivalent so one one little backstory is that uh, the studios really wanted something to match the the grandeur of and the 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 sort of horror of jaws okay and that was sort of their aim and house is what resulted from it (laughs) and um the lots of stories around the production that i read afterwards that just really add to this uh, i think a really unique one-of-a-kind film as as sort of the criterion description was getting at um and and another, uh, I just really appreciate the the execution of the film, many of the effects, which I think is another unspoken, um, great quality of of horror, and a, a really the legacy of horror is our modern day special effects all the way into CGI. I think horror always sort of were were pushing those practical effects and mm-hmm. experimentation with format and film and. And, and medium and so I, I i think you know i i guess i'm coming to understand that horror is the unsung hero of, of cinema <laughs> <laughs> um I, this one i don't know if i if i told you this one how so house i've seen a long long time ago i think shortly after it came into the criterion collection which was like over over a decade ago i think at this point and at that point in watching it, I think I turned it off before it was even done. Um, and and once again, getting back to that that idea of like what I was expecting and what I got were so wildly different. Because um, yes. this is a movie that IMDb premise is just a schoolgirl and six of her classmates travel to her aunt's country home, which turns out to be haunted, which sounds both straightforward and spooky, and. <laughs> From what I recall, um, neither of those, neither sh- straightforward nor spooky, are two things that can really be applied to this movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's there's really a surprising depth in it, mm-hmm. I think, and um, you know, it's I think that's another thing about horror in, in in general that I'm sort of coming to understand is, um, many of the films that were just taken as very sort of fun adventures or interesting or whatever there's we sort of watch it and our expectations are that it is it's it's two-dimensional and it's or it's there's not that much depth to it but i think um you know like i was saying there's you, you know more than you can say there's there's a deeper there are many layers to it and i think house is a good example of it's just so chock full of symbolism. 
<laughs> it's so chock full of it, but it, but you don't catch it right away because it is it's very fast paced mm-hmm. and it's and it's very wild and loose and 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 kooky and just wonderful, just wonderful. <laughs> Just so entertaining. Yeah, for, from what I remember, kooky is is probably the best descriptor I, I can think of uh, for it. And, and it's funny because when you said this, I was like, "House, I you know that's got to be on the Criterion Channel." I don't have it. It is on the Criterion Channel, but it also is available as a rental through Amazon. But also, it's on HBO Max, which is just <laughs> further adds into that question of like, what the hell is HBO Max? I, we watch it all the time, but just like what. <laughs> What message are they sending? What brand are they like? The, you know, you can watch House and then flip over to the Big Bang Theory. Like, what the hell, HBO Max? Well, you definitely have access to my Criterion streaming Criterion channel subscription if you would like. Oh, there we go. And the first person that emails me at youdomoviesbadly@gmail.com will also get Benny's login. Um, hey, <laughs> no, that is false. That will not happen. But. Um, <laughs> Okay, um, and also uh, and adding to it, uh, uh, currently as of right now, I believe it's also streaming on Mubi, which means at best you have 30 days to watch it because that's how Mubi, uh, their their model operates. Every day there's a new movie to watch and then an old one has moved off. Um, I've never, I should investigate that service one of these days, but there's so much streaming, there's so many streaming services and only so little money in this world, but um, that's neither here nor there. What is here and there? Killing of a Sacred Deer, House, and then the final one, you've already said it, Benny, we got Possession. Possession. It's a 1981 film by Andrzej Zuwaski. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a Polish filmmaker, and yet it's in uh, uh, English. It's an English film. <clears throat> you've got uh, Sam Neill, Sam who was okay. in Jurassic Park. Yeah. He's a, he's a star. Um and uh, you know it's really great. Uh, you really get a sense the the first uh, the sort of one sentence on Wikipedia the the summary at the top about the plot. It says the plot obliquely follows <laughs> the plot obliquely follows the relationship between an international spy and his wife, who begins exhibiting increasingly disturbing behavior after asking him for a divorce. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, uh, so <clears throat> Andrew, I, I feel like uh, our friend Andrew here is really the unspoken participant of this conversation because <laughs> he's the one who showed me this film first. And I remember him being very cautious about seeing it with me. <laughs> I, I, I think he was, um, you know, earlier on, I think he was sort of testing of of uh, yeah, this is a very intense film uh, for a lot of reasons and you might hate it, <laughs> um, but again, like you've uh, <laughs> you've already talked about uh, uh, the expectation. I, actually, you know, I I got to the end of it and I was just <laughs> it was such an experience. It was such an experience. Um, it was visceral. It was fresh. It was it was so intensely. The images, like uh, just like the, the the colors of it, um, and 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 there's something the the images on screen had this quality, and I, I'm I'm really missing sort of the words right here. That it wasn't just the color; it was the texture of the picture. Hmm. Um, 
and not just mise-en-scene and not just the cinematography per se. It was a combination of like what you were seeing, but there are a lot of textures in the film combined with the color that just really leaps out at you, leaps mm -hmm. out at you as a viewer. Um, so Andrew, we watched it and I immediately ordered my own copy. Um, it, it, it really, I mean, two, it's, it, it is a film, you know, the plot obliquely follows the relationship. You watch it and be prepared to, um, <clears throat> you know, some of the dialogue is a little hard to understand. Just, I think the sound and recording, mm -hmm. um, of that time and, <clears throat> But uh, it really starts off right off the bat. I mean, right away, you have the you have the title sequence, you have the music that really set a mood, mm -hmm. and then you jump right into sort of this drama. And I won't say anything about the rest of the film, but I think that as far as I've uh, Wikipedia describes this as a psychological horror drama film. I would say this is like an epitome, uh, an, the apex of of an example of art house and horror. This sounds like one that you don't want to talk a lot of, as much about because it's you want me to be as surprised as you were when you first saw it. And and Andrew did the same for me. He said very little. That's fair. Um, and and and. All you have to go off is that lo lovely cover, <laughs> the lovely Medusa cover. Yes. Well, I am I'm excited for um, for all of these, and that's as a recap: uh, the killing of a sacred deer, house, and possession, not the possession, which is uh, starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan, which is one of the only films in the mainstream uh, the mainstream um, audience that I could say deals with the. The Jewish myth of the Dybbuk box, which is also quite fascinating if you've never heard anything about that. That's uh, that's a lot of fun as well. Um, but yeah, I guess Benny. Th uh, I was about to say Benny thing, which was a combination of Benny. Anything more you want to say? Any other comments or anything else before we we sign off and, and let you go? Um, you know, I it's it's I really enjoy uh, being on this. I. I think I worry during the recording of this. I'm like, am I just babbling? Am I just? I'm I'm really excited about it, and I'm and I just throwing words out there. But I I am really excited. I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, I'm really coming to new understandings about the horror genre. I hope that the words as they came across and out of my mouth that they there's they make some sort of sense and <laughs> don't seem pretentious. I think I think you know. Um, because I really, I really do feel like I've, I've really enjoyed, uh, sort of rethinking and reconsidering this genre. Not necessarily reconsidering, but you know, uh, re-entering it maybe. Mm -hmm. And um, um, I'm really excited to listen to the following podcasts of you, a well-versed horror buff. <laughs> buff is the preferred term, no? Yes, in both my my uh, intellectual prestige and my my physical specimen as well. <laughs> that is that is how I prefer to be referred to uh, from now on. So, um, Jim Buff. Yeah, and if if you know if people are listening and like Benny came off as kind of pretentious, you know what? That's their problem. That's not your problem, Benny. That's their problem. 
um, intent versus interpretation. So, um, but for those people who may be listening, like, you know what, Benny sounds like a smart guy or sounds like a talented guy. I want to engage with him more. How can people do that with you, Benny? Uh, I'm really aloof and I'm, I'm really not into, you know, talking to anybody. <laughs> I, uh, I have some of my, um, I have like a, a general portfolio site and, um, I don't know. They know you. Um, if you if you want to get in touch with Benny, you got to get in touch with me first. That's how it goes. Uh, me and I, you know, I'm I'm I don't know. I I am an open guy. I'm like um, always looking for work. <laughs> and um, you know, always uh, I've had a few like I like we like you almost worked with me on on a short film. I'm I'm looking for great new projects and and I was ex- I was excited. Uh, at the prospect of of working with you as uh, i have a you know though you you wouldn't claim to be maybe a a a very experienced actor or something i really take from the great tradition of of non-actors and cinema and um i i think that comes from a real deep appreciation for the particularity already inherent in each person and sort of drawing that out. And um, so, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in meeting people. Hmm. Um, I've got a website. It's just bennycrown.com. And it's got some some of my more professional type work on there. But um, some fun stuff, too. You'll find it under the subheading trash. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I was just kind of, I was just thinking, like, I, I, know, I know you said it was a time commitment. But, like, how could that have been? time commitment and then i realized because this was back in like february and i was supposed to get married in march and so there was a lot of planning that still had to be done for that yes. so I, I i could and then of course the pandemic happened and uh and you were one person supposed to play three characters yes that's true so yeah it wasn't just me popping in and being like ah, i am waiting for a bus it was the entire thing kind of revolved around me and that was a an intimidating task says the guy who um this past summer started dabbling an idea of a, of a, a short film that he would both write uh direct and star in so who knows how these things done before <laughs> <laughs> so um as for me of course I, I think at this point you know the same old song and dance but uh you do movies badly at gmail.com if you want to email me i am nolan fixes teeth on twitter uh you can find uh back episodes of i do movies badly by going to battleshipretention.com where you can chime in on comments in the comments field or just go to you know Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean. I'm I'm there as well at idomoviesbadly.podbean.com. So that's it for the introductory episode, Benny. Thank you again for joining me. This was a lot of fun. I am excited and also a little bit nervous about where this month is going to lead me, but that's why I, I bring you on for these sort of things. So I, I can't say that I was rushing into Abbas Kiristami with, uh, with you know, the, the utmost of confidence either and... <laughs> Um, if anyone listened to those episodes, then, you know, I would also say, Benny, don't worry about sounding like you're rambling. Cause that's what I do on most of these episodes. I've been doing it for five years, so you're fine. Well, it's always an honor to join you on, in, in these recorded conversations and all of our other conversations. Thank you, Benny. And, and, uh, once again, um, listeners be sure to tune in next week where I'll be covering the killing of a sacred deer. And hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.